Hello, welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leah Lem. And I'm your other host, Cole Primo. So Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine is a show centered around amplifying Native voices in Minnesota. We get to hear about how these people find their purpose and use their gifts to give back. Yes, and today is a special edition of Native Lights Visiting Vaccines, where we're getting a pulse on Indian country in Minnesota's response to COVID vaccines. You know, what's going on, what's going through folks' minds as vaccines are made available? Today, we are continuing the the vaccine conversation from a broad system perspective with the Indian Health Service, COVID resources, And plus, we're hearing from a firefighter who has gone through the whole vaccination process. Our three guests today include Daniel Fry, who's the director of Indian Health Services in the Bemidji area. And we also have Jen Hall on today, who's a Minneapolis firefighter. And finally, Kelly Miller, who is a fellow Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe member and the director of the Department of Indian Work at Interfaith Action of Greater St. Paul. Yeah, we have a packed show and I'm looking forward to it. Let's dig in. First up, Daniel Fry is a citizen of the Sault Ste. Marie tribe of Chippewa Indians and is the Indian Health Services Bemidji Area Director. And that service area includes Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, of course, and the urban center of Chicago. My message is that it's important for everyone to really uh, do their own homework. Uh, What we see is there's a lot of information out there about vaccine, but there's nothing that's um, um, restricting us from going out there and and asking our friends, asking our families that may have already received the vaccine, um, or or just, you know, taking a look at sources uh, that you may trust. Uh, Because what we've seen as we move through this is there is less vaccine hesitancy, which is why we're starting to use that, that language of vaccine acceptance, because We've seen elders within the community, tribal leaders receive their vaccine, and people are saying, well, this is safe. We're not seeing um, any, we're not seeing these, uh, these large-scale adverse reactions. Uh, people are happy to get the vaccine. And that's what we're hoping to do today in this series of conversations, be a source and a way to continue learning about COVID vaccines. Daniel Fry and his wealth of knowledge with the Indian Health Service are helping us out today as we learn a bit more about how the vaccines are being distributed throughout Indian country in his region and especially in Minnesota. The the goal is as soon as you get the vaccine um, to use it. We want to be able to administer it basically as quickly as we get it um, because that's really the end game here is how do we get out of a pandemic um, while we reach herd immunity and we know to do that we have to vaccinate at a very rapid pace. Daniel says each tribe and the Minneapolis Indian Health Board could choose whether to get their vaccine supply through IHS channels, government contractors, or their respective state. Then tribes can then distribute to their citizens as they see fit. Each tribe has the opportunity uh, to prioritize the groups that they feel are are most appropriate. Um, And for what we've seen across the region is that the tribes have stuck pretty closely to the CDC guidelines uh, and just made specific determinations as they've come uh, as they moved through their pandemic response. Um, but with respecting the sovereignty of each tribe, you know that was part of the agreement with the CDC is that um, we will give you the recommendations on who we think you should uh, vaccinate, but then you'll be able to vaccinate um, who you feel is necessary to um, provide the best um, long-term outcomes for your reservation. Priority in general has been given to healthcare personnel and the elder population, essential workers, emergency responders, and so on. 
A number of tribes are also making an effort to vaccinate carriers of culture and heritage. Even amongst the elders, when you get um, vaccine, you still have to prioritize within that group um, who you want to get it. And what we've seen is tribes protecting um, their, their history, their knowledge, and, and getting those uh, individuals vaccinated at the front of the line uh, when they're part of that population as well. Daniel says they receive an allotment of 2,000 doses on average each week. Then they distribute to the sites. A lot of people do want the vaccine uh, because this pandemic has been so hard on so many, you know, with like restaurant workers, you know, housing situations and stuff like that. Yep. Schools, um, losing loved ones. Uh, just, I mean, it seems, it, it's just been so terrible and disruptive um, in so many ways. So like, I know I want the vaccine. And I'll get it when it's my turn. You know, I'm not going to be rushing in front of the line when there are elders and stuff like that yeah. and frontline workers and teachers and exactly. <laughs> everybody else who's really out there doing doing the work out and about. So, yeah. um, yes, just like the feast, you got to let the elders go first and then. That's right. <laughs> but this one would have healthcare workers up on the front line as well. Yeah, of course. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. So vaccine distribution has been relatively slow compared to demand. Long lines and wait lists for the vaccine have been reported across Minnesota and across the country. I think we all want to be able to end this, uh, this pandemic. Um, and people are now having, people want it, right? The demand is high right now. There's a lot of momentum um, for vaccine acceptance. We want to be able to get that into the community. So folks are, as soon as they're getting it, they're, they're administering it. And we just got to wait for, for the supply to be able to pick up. And that's, that's not unexpected. I, I would think in, a, in the midst of a global pandemic, we only have two companies right now that um, are producing vaccine within the United States. Uh, for distribution and you know they have their work cut out for them because they're also supplying across the the global platform as well. Yeah and IHS um, and the sites that they work with are actually doing okay Mm -hmm. at least many of them are. Um, The sites don't necessarily have the capacity to vaccinate at a super high level with like tons and tons of doses as they tend not to be big facilities like you'd find, you know, in your big metropolitan hospitals or something like that. So um, they're making it work. Some sites have reached out to us and said, you know, what we're getting right now is is actually a good cadence for us uh, just because, you know, they're smaller, right? They, They might have a small clinic and only a small amount of staff that can actually do the administration of the vaccine, um, where they recognize that, yes, they're going to have to move through and do some larger throughputs. Um, but right now, as they're, as they're really refining their, their methods for these clinics, um, it gives them some time to build up. Whereas other sites, they have large public health programs, and they'd like to be able to, you know, do doses or, or vaccinations in the hundreds at a time um, so that they can do, you know, one clinic, and then they repeat it again in, in three or four weeks. Um, doing the same thing so that they can get the boost shot out to the individuals. Makes sense, yeah, these smaller clinics and what they're getting right now is is, is enough for them for their workload. Um, uh, so it's good that they're using the time to help ramp up these efforts. So through all the details of operations, Daniel remembers the big picture too. We want the vaccine because we want to be able to go see our families again. We want to be able to gather, go to powwows have those traditional ceremonies um, that we're used to. Uh, you know, one of the things that's been so difficult throughout this is, especially in Indian country where, you know, 
we're such a, uh, you know, we live by such a family standard that we're used to large gatherings. It's been difficult not to be able to go through those normal cycles of our years, um, as, you know, between the powwows, the funerals, uh, the holidays, it's been extremely difficult, and people recognize that if you have a vaccine and we get to a position where uh, the country is protected, uh, we can go back to doing that. Yes, those social media pictures of getting the vaccine are a good example. Even our dad, mm-hmm. who's an elder, posted one. You know, he's looking all serious, <laughs> right? But, you know, he's kind of like, you know he's joking with the uh, nurse or whoever is administering the He's got some wise cracks in there, of course. <laughs> but the picture looks serious, yeah. though, because it is. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's really important when, when it comes from those elders within the community, those trusted sources that says, see, look, I did it. You can do it, too. Uh, and then we just continue on. This is a long process. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's good to see. You know, We're seeing that more and more elders posting the clips, um, encouraging others and on social media, over the phone, you know, in some type of way. Uh, but, you know, we're still in the very beginning stages of it. Um, but it's encouraging so far. And it's good to, you know, see that clinics are gaining this experience as they're getting a more steady stream of vaccine doses. So, Chimigwech, yeah. Daniel Fry. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. Uh, Daniel Fry is the director of Indian Health Services in the Bemidji area. And thank you to reporter Melissa Townsend, who conducted the interview with Daniel Fry. You're listening to a special edition of Native Lights, Visiting Vaccines. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. And today we're talking to a few people and continuing the vaccine conversation from a broad perspective uh, with Indian Health Service and uh, talking about COVID resources. And we're hearing from a firefighter who has gotten the vaccine. So we just heard from Daniel Fry, the Bemidji Area Director of IHS, and now we're going to hear from Jen Hall, a Minneapolis firefighter. So we, Cole, you and I talked to Jen a few months ago, I think it was May, uh, for the podcast Native Lights Badapi when we were chat with folks about how pandemic life was treating sure, them. Sure, yeah, it was great. Um, I think she was just starting her Minneapolis firefighting job, right? Yeah, like she had graduated just, I think she had graduated in March, like right when the pandemic hit, like they had their graduation ceremony and then pandemic. Yeah, talk about time. So I actually talked to Jen right after she got her second dose of the COVID vaccine Mm. um, and she got the Moderna vaccine. So uh, we'll hear a bit about that and how they're doing uh, at the fire department. Bonjour, Guinoa, Jen Indijnikaz, Mong and Dodane, Omaga Kabakong and Dunje. So I'm Jen Hall. I'm Loon Clan, and I live in Minneapolis. Uh, I'm a Minneapolis firefighter. I came on the department last March, so it's been a heck of a year. Yes, heck of a year. Jen got the first dose of the Moderna vaccine in late December with others in her department, and then they got the second dose in late January. The important thing to know about Minneapolis Fire and many fire departments around the country is that we are also emergency medical services. So all firefighters have to be EMTs um, in the city of Minneapolis. And like our neighbors over in St. Paul, they have to be paramedics. So we not only respond to fire alarms and actual fires, but we respond to medical calls too. In fact, like 85% of our calls are EMS. 
So we're going into people's homes, um, but we've definitely gone into long-term care facilities where there's known COVID cases. Um, definitely had a few patients that were definitely COVID positive. And we've had a few that were not, we're not certain, but you know, they get in the ambulance and they say, oh, I was just tested for COVID. I'm waiting for test results. Yeah, so they're close to a lot of COVID-positive cases or potential COVID-positive cases. And remember, they're also in close quarters with one another as firefighters in the, the station. So with, you know, that risk of being in close quarters, is the department requiring them to get the vaccine? For the fire department, the vaccine is not a requirement. It is a personal choice. So in our department, it's completely voluntary. And I, you know, I went back and forth because I do have reservations about just, you know, there's been so many experiments done on Native people and communities of color in general. It kind of made me nervous to be one of the first people out there. But I ultimately decided, like, I don't want to get a severe case of COVID if I can avoid it. And I will be just exposing, you know, being out there, getting exposed more frequently because of the nature of my work. Um, so it came down on the side of, you know, I'd rather be part of something historic and be part of a first wave that maybe could inform and improve the vaccination for the next round of folks that can get it. Um, so for me, the benefits outweighed the risks. Yeah, and those risks from the vaccine are really low as you know, we've heard reports on, as we've heard from other experts who have joined us on visiting vaccines, other um, Native experts. So we know the risks are low, but they still do exist. Yeah, it's not 100%. Yeah. COVID vaccines are a big step in getting through the pandemic. That has devastated so many. I do feel safer now just because if I do catch it, it's supposed to, you know, hopefully it will be more moderate. Granted, the, the variation, the new, you know, more contagious variation. So that's, you know, that's just interesting in and of itself, like the biology of viruses and the, the way that things we barely understand affect our lives. Things that are so, so small. It's like, wow, you really start to feel humble when you think about how tiny the virus is and how much damage it's caused. Jen and I had a long conversation about vaccines at this point and just like how... Like she says, something so small can change the course of history. And we've seen it over and over and over again in our history. And I feel really grateful for knowledge, like indigenous knowledge um, with with our health and um, community connections and also science, um, keeping us safe with, you know, understanding how viruses uh, move from person to person. So it's really incredible to think about, you know, something you can't see with the naked eye being such a force in our lives. She also talks about, you know, even if she gets COVID, having had the vaccine, it's possible to get like a really mild version of yeah, COVID. prevents this severe illness. That's good, yeah. Yeah, so um, that's another thing that can be helpful too. Um, so the health recommendations we've been hearing, you know, even from the start, um, more or less, <laughs> is that, you know, masks and distancing and continued care, hand washing and all of that stuff will still need to continue forward even after getting the vaccine. Uh, 
So getting the vaccine doesn't open the door to complete disregard for all safety precautions. You know, in fact, we got to stay the course and um, help protect one another because, you know, we can still get COVID after having the vaccine and spread it. So there's still that chance. So we want to make sure that we're protecting one another. Not everybody can get the vaccine. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not willing to put others' health at risk just because I'm blessed to have gotten it. So <laughs> just, I'm unwilling to do that. And I, yeah, it's solidarity. It's thinking about your fellow citizens and just being, choosing to be responsible in this era of like highly individualistic thinking, like, no, I'm not going that route. I'm choosing to take care of other people and to do as well as I can to protect other people around me because I care. Yep, she cares in that respect. And she's a firefighter. <laughs> uh, hero status. Hero status, Jen. So back to tribes, though. Uh, Jen said her grandfather got his vaccine through the Leech Lake Band. She was really grateful that he was able to get the vaccine. So that's great to hear. And, you know, our, our tribe, Malax Band, has vaccines and other tribes around the state do. And as we heard from Daniel Fry with IHS, you know, there's this real momentum in getting the vaccine out to Native communities and Black, Indigenous, people of color communities um, and making sure to address those health injustices uh, that exist. So that's great to hear. It's cool that, yeah, communities have been able to be responsive in their own ways. And I think a lot of the paranoia around the vaccination for people of color and like tribal communities was that we were getting the chance to get vaccinated soon, which is like, hey, it's the government is functioning in a way that's like, we recognize you're most impacted by this. Let us help you. And I could, you know, I can see why that raises some alarm bells for people because that's really not what we expect the government to do, unfortunately. Um, but it is cool to see that they're approaching things with a racial justice perspective and actually moving accordingly. You know, they're not just saying that they want to help communities of color and indigenous communities first, but they're doing it. So on some small level, it feels like progress. Yes. So progress is good. And these trusted voices we can listen to, um, trusted Native voices, trusted people of color are a big help in feeling confident in getting the vaccine. So seeing the elders post to social media, uh, hearing folks like Daniel Fry talk and, and our past conversations with Dr. Stately and Dr. Owen. Uh, so Native leaders are taking care of our tribal citizens and helping inform us all on how vaccines help keep our communities safe. Totally get you. Yeah, feeling well-informed is a good step to feeling good about getting the vaccine. I wasn't very versed, I guess, in the world of vaccinations. So just learning about some of the science that's been out here for a while and learning about the reasons why or why, like, why not and why do vaccines get produced quickly or not. But also, like, in terms of you know, good and negative about the vaccine. Like I definitely have some coworkers who experienced rough symptoms. You know, they had, they felt like they had a mild case of COVID or some folks who have had COVID kind of had their symptoms reignite. So that was a little bit, I guess, concerning. Yeah. So like we talked about earlier, there are some risks. Jen actually sent me a note the day after we chatted. Remember when 
when Jen and I chatted for this interview, uh, she had gotten her vaccine right before we talked. Um, so the next day, she wanted to let me know that she did experience kind of a rough night of symptoms. Uh, she said she had chills, nausea, and a splitting headache. Um, so she 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 was kind of rugged. <laughs> um, but by morning, uh, she was starting to feel a bit better. Um, just kind of yucky, yucky feeling. So one night of feeling crummy, but she felt it was worth it. You know, it's not going to be as bad as actually getting COVID. So yeah, as you heard, she knew that folks were getting some side effects from the vaccine, uh, but she went through the vaccine process knowing that her eyes wide open. Plus she did a bit of book learning on the vaccine before getting it. I did a moderate amount of research, like I guess enough to make myself feel comfortable, but not so much that I fell down a rabbit hole and got scared out of it. And I also leaned on a friend of mine who's an MD. She was instrumental in helping me feel comfortable because she kind of read the studies and things and I was able to ask her my questions. So she helped me decide to do it too. Yeah, I mean, I think it is important to, you know, address whatever concerns you might have in any way that you can, like access the information that you need to feel comfortable with your decision either way. Chimigwech, Jen Hall, uh, Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe, and Minneapolis Firefighter. Yeah, thanks, Jen. You're listening to a special edition of Native Lights, Visiting Vaccines. Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. We just heard from Minneapolis Firefighter Jen Hall. Earlier, we heard from Daniel Fry, the Bemidji Area Director of Indian Health Services. And now... We're about to hear from Kelly Miller, a Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe member and director of the Department of Indian Work at Interfaith Action of Greater St. Paul. Today we're talking about how Kelly Miller's recent role is one of Minnesota Department of Health's COVID-19 community coordinators. For that role, she helped put together a COVID hotline for the Native communities in the Hennepin and Ramsey County area. And it's part of the push to get culturally relevant information out to diverse communities about COVID-19. She says the opportunity for this COVID hotline came up for a separate Native organization that she's involved in, which is St. Paul Indians in Action. But that organization had to pass on this. And she needed to find a way to keep it going, though, with the Department of Indian Work of Interfaith Action of Greater St. Paul. I felt um, this was something I couldn't pass up for DIW. I was like, this is something our community needs. And I spoke with our executive director, Randy Roth, and our CFO um, at Interfaith Action and was really, um, really adamant about, I, I really want to do this. And they're like, okay, if you want to do this, we'll support you. Let's, let's, let's figure out how to do it. And it was literally everything with this, you know, it was like, go, go, go. So the states pr- approached us with this and we signed a contract, you know, a month later. And Four weeks after that, we're starting a hotline. You know, we have a phone number up and running. Um, We hired five staff um, right away. Um, MDH hosts weekly trainings, base camp. Like it was, it was a lot to learn. And going into no hotline experience at all, it was, um, I do got to say, I'm definitely proud of our team and how much the MDH supports um, their community COVID community coordinators in this role to get this up and running because it's it's been great. 
So yeah, Kelly says the COVID hotline is for Native folks to find answers and resources during the COVID-19 pandemic. Each COVID community co- coordinator is essentially a hotline, a COVID resource hotline. And um, they provide, you can call this hotline, you can, um, to get resources on COVID testing, symptoms, just to vent or talk to somebody like, hey, um, you know, I was around somebody that was tested positive for COVID. What do I do now? And then we will, we're not doctors, so we don't give out medical advice, but we do have all of the governor's, you know, resources, all of MDH's um, resources and referrals and recommendations, and that's what we give them. And we also can um, sign them up for testing if they need to get tested for COVID. We can um, register them at a free testing site. Um, housing resources, um, any of that information COVID related, we are there to help them with. Wow, that's a lot of a lot of stuff there that they can help us with. There's a lot of questions that come up. I mean, during yeah, I mean, if you feel like you got maybe exposed and you don't know exactly what to do, I mean, there's all these different scenarios. So they try to help you out with that. So uh, for the vaccine information, uh, she says it's the same process. They will have the latest vaccine information and guidelines from the Minnesota Health Department. And they'll also, you know, work with uh, and talk to other Native health organizations. We've been getting calls asking about vaccines and where do I get that? I want to get it. I don't want to wait in line. I want to be the first, you know, I'm an elder. And um, just trying to find those resources because it's so up in the air right now about, you know, who's going to get them and what phases, you know, we know what phases they're going to be rolled out and who is going to be getting them first. But, you know, I seen that NAC, Native American um, Community Clinic, was giving some of the vaccines to some of their elders. And it was like, okay, um, I'm going to have a follow-up to reach out to them to say, hey, what are you guys doing for vaccines? And can, you know, we get any information we have so we can share it with our callers. As Kelly mentioned, the COVID-19 hotline has a lot of resources, more than just where can I get tested or vaccinated. There's other resources that include food support, health care, mental health resources, uh, housing and rental assistance, you know, COVID-19 case investigation and contact tracing, as well as employment resources. So we have all that information, you know, the COVID hotline, including phone number, hours of operation at minnesotanativenews.org slash health. And as a quick note, there are three COVID hotlines for the Native communities in Minnesota, one for the urban area and two more for greater Minnesota area. That information is in there. Again, that's at minnesotanativenews.org slash health. So chimigwech to Kelly for sharing. She started as an intern for the Department of Indian Work Food Shelf. Uh, She found out she loved it and helped improve the organization over the years. She's now the director. So it was great to to talk to her, and I look forward to staying in touch with her. Kelly Miller is the director of Department of Indian Work at Interfaith Action of Greater St. Paul and is the Minnesota Department of Health COVID-19 community coordinator who set up a COVID hotline for the Native communities in the Ramsey and Hennepin County area. Yeah, and another chimigwech to Daniel Fry, Bemidji Area Director of IHS, and Jen Hall, firefighter with the Minneapolis Fire Department. Yeah, so there's one thing everyone we talk to has in common, caring about our community's health. So we're still making sure to mask up, uh, wash our hands, staying safe and smart. And there's so much information out there to keep up with. So it's great to have our guests share what they know and their own experiences. Yes, it's always great to hear from these these amazing individuals and and learn from them. I'm Cole Primo. And I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech for listening. Gigawabamin. Gigawabamin.
Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. If you want to hear more Native folks talking about their gifts and finding their purpose, search for Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine wherever you find podcasts and find all of Minnesota Native News' content at minnesotanativenews.org. 